yesterday, I don't know if you guys have been following the story of the MTV uh, Video Music Awards and Miley Cyrus with her twerking. Yes. Kind of deal right now. Um, so I'm kind of like riding around in the car with my parents and my sister. You know, it's my birthday. We're talking about the VMAs. And I go, you know what? Miley Cyrus, I think she might actually be a furry. She's twerking in that unicorn costume. She's there inhaling deeply of the asses of teddy bears. I think she's a furry. And my sister and my father and my mother, none of them kind of know what a furry is. So now I have the task of explaining to my parents what exactly a furry is. I'm like, okay, well, sometimes people, you know, they think they have these animal spirits. They have these personas and some of them like to dress up in suits and have sex with one another. And that was basically my birthday, me explaining furries to them. Can, yeah. can, can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. Um, I've always I've always wondered this, but I've never had the opportunity to ask. Do older black people know what twerking is? Older black people do know what twerking is. Okay. Uh, apparently, I think this is supposed to be a big deal in like South Africa and all that. So it's a it's a cultural experience. It's a cultural experience. Yeah. Are you recording? Well, that's a horrible way to enter into enemy slime podcast episode two but that's what we've done anyways because today's episode is completely disjointed for numerous reasons but for numerous reasons yes right but you know we've got jared with us here again that, that would be me yes and we've got jay with us who just told us that horrible story and hello i'm jay yes I, I thought it was touching i thought it was a touching tale touching tale my parents learned something new you know i taught them something new <laughs> I think we should talk about games because I've been like bubbling over with Saints Row 4, which I don't know if we'll get to that immediately, but I, Saints Row 4 would be a good thing to talk about. I, I say go ahead because I know that you two have barely been able to restrain. It's like you have it's like you have fuck eyes for each other, except we, the... I mean, we kind of do. And then I, I see that is why the why my story about uh, Miley Cyrus's twerking is relevant, because I feel like if you were to take Saints Row 4 and try and realize this thing in the actual world, that's what it would look like. She had everything, you know, she had teddy bears, she had the lights and the music, and uh, it's not as attractive as you would think in real life. And it's just odd that they don't have a uh, uh, twerking dance for, uh, you know, when you do your either positive or negative sort of move there. See, they didn't do a twerking dance. They kind of get, they, there's like a small section where you do a little bit of a strip dance and you can do a little bit there, but yeah, yeah. they kind of dropped the ball on that. That's sort of the old stripper twerking we've seen for years. Yeah, yeah. So, That's I old mean, hat I mean, now. So where do we start first with Saints Row 4? The last time we actually talked about it, not on the podcast, is when I was explaining that I had only just started to release the other crewmates, but now I'm actually far enough to where... I have, I think I've released everybody, and I just got through Kinsey's issues as well. Okay. Yeah, so you're basically at the end, pretty much. Yeah. Now, now I think uh, I think I've heard this like mentioned offhand, but somebody, maybe it was one of you, was saying that this game was kind of like doing a, a Mass Effect two kind of deal, right? Where basically, um, you you have you have each character which serves as like a portion of the game to play through that character. And uh, and I guess re-recruit them, um, and then I I presume it's followed with a suicide mission. I don't fully yeah. know. See, it's it's funny because this game uh, parodies Mass Effect Two kind of a lot. It's like you know you have your romances, and it's not really romance. All you're all you're basically doing is you're walking into a character, you're saying, "Hey, let's fuck," and they go, "Yeah, okay." You know, but that, that's <laughs> basically the premise of the game. The premise of the game is you're going back and you're. Yeah, you're basically re-recruiting your crew. Uh, you're dealing with their, all their own personal issues. You have loyalty missions. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's basically the whole game. The whole game is basically a parody of Mass Effect 2 with the normal Saints Row uh, humor on top of it. I mean, I missed out on... I never played Mass Effect, and yet I'm still kind of, like, giddy every time they make a obvious joke about Mass Effect. Yeah. So especially the parts where you can just ask anybody to have sex and they will is very amusing to me. Although it's a little like, creepy how Kinsey yes. just punches you in the face. 
<laughs> I love creepy. And then uh, I think it's after you get Asha back. Uh, you go up to Asha and you say that you want rough sex, but Kinsey scares the shit out of you. Yeah. So That's, it's a good thing I did those in order. So, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you ask Keith David and he's just too badass for that. He's like, I know you want to, but David, I don't. <laughs> Keith David is badass. And then I started playing... <laughs> You know, I, I always kind of do my little kind of Mexican guy whenever I play Saints Row. And and I go back and I got to play white girl, you know, because that's secretly what every black man wants to be, as Michael Jackson has proven. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I go back and I do this little white girl with a southern bell voice. And I'm like, you know, OK, finally, this is my shot to be with Keith David. And he still shoots you down. Yeah, right? that's I did the exact same thing. And actually, that's. Another thing that I do, because apparently I'm creepy like you, so <laughs> after my first male character, I then go all out and I just make, you know, the white chick with, you know, the big ones and everything and just kind of go all out there. And I was like, well, Keith David has to want some of this. Yeah. Yeah. But no. He, no. He's not Keith interested. David wants no part of you on the suicide mission. There's there's the, suicide, the game ends with something that's suicide mission-esque, you know, Kinsey, uh... The, the description of the mission is if you want the good ending, I hope you did all the loyalty missions. <laughs> That's like the, actually the description there. And then uh, right. you basically select your teams as like which person you want going with you on which mission, which is very clear, kind of Mass Effect 2 kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. I, I mean, there's a reason to actually do all the loyalty missions because then you get super powered versions of your homies. Which yeah. Is extremely helpful. And then there's actually no reason not to do the loyalty missions. It's like if you don't have a superpowered version, they're not worth using in your party. They get killed too easily. Although at the beginning of Saints Row 4, there's not really anything uh, serious going on necessarily. I mean, I guess some some serious stuff happens, but I was kind of surprised. I got like slapped out of nowhere when I was doing uh, Johnny Gat's um, sort of reunion thing when you're going through the, the, the Genki mission and you're just having like this really long, deep talk about things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel I feel like Saints Row Four found kind of a good balance between, you know, the serious dark tone of Saints Row Two and the comedic tone, you know, the comedic and over the top tone of Saints Row uh, the Third. Like I wasn't a big fan of Two, uh, and I love the Third, but I feel like this kind of struck a good uh, middle ground, just tone wise, between the two of them. After having played through almost all of it now, I still don't feel like it was lazy at all. I there's yeah. so much new stuff that it doesn't even really matter that they use the same city because you don't really recognize it anyways when you first walk in just because it's all the sky's all fucked up and the sky's all fucked up there are new towers everywhere but it's like kind of like i said it, you're spending so much time basically seeing the city from a new perspective you're going to be like running all the time running up buildings and jumping around and flying that you know i i think even if they did design a new city you wouldn't appreciate it because you basically wouldn't be seeing it you would be flying above it and then uh it's exactly like you said there's so much other stuff like the game the game is really about the you know simulation missions where you go basically uh you have a saint they're stuck inside a simulation that you have to rescue them from and their simulation is literally a um kind of a prison like a personal hell for them yeah. so you go through the personal hell and you find the saint and you help them solve their problems. And the personal hells are kind of like where the game really shines through. Some of it is, is like homages to previous Saints Row games. So you're going to see, you know, familiar locations from Saints Row the Third and from Saints Row Two and from the original Saints Row. And then some of it is just kind of like, you know, basically mocking other games or, you know, just taking the piss out of other games, such as there's one 2D style brawler. There's one that's right. very clearly some kind of mix between, you know, Metal Gear Solid and um, Splinter Cell. So, you know, you're, you're spending so much time. Like, these simulations are, like, the real meat of the game. And all of them are kind of, like, you know, so fun and nostalgic, but uh, kind of fresh in their own ways that they're a lot of fun to play. And, you know, you don't notice the fact that you use Steelport at all. One thing that's really effective, usually, in Saints Row games is they make fun of something. And they do it in such a way that you know that the person who likes that thing that they're making fun of is probably pissed off. And yeah. um, I actually did get pissed off when they were making fun of Splinter Cell. <laughs> when they're like, shoot out the light, now stab that guy. Shoot out this light, now stab that guy. And it's like, wow, this is really repetitive. And it's like, now let's go through this air duct. And they're yeah. just, just the way they deliver it really kind of made me mad. But like at the same time, I was, it was funny anyways. 
it's funny anyways and then you know you know when i played that section i really wondered what hideo kojima would say about this game because he seems really interested in western video games so it feels like he would play saints row 4 and i just had to wonder what he would say about that bit there I mean, it seemed actually that whole level that we're talking about seemed more like a jab at Metal Gear Solid than Splinter Cell, because I I think most of it you spend underneath a cardboard box. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you spend most of it underneath cardboard boxes. um, uh, Oh, and the uh, the I mean, we're spoiling the hell out of this and I don't really care. So, like, we'll put a spoiler alert on the actual uh, post. But so when you do Johnny Gats Brawler, that took me by surprise because it was really well done. And then I had also noticed that it they had applied a lot of really weird filters I've never seen before to make it so that everything was actually 3D, but it looked 2D because nothing yeah. was an actual sprite. And it was just really weird. I'd never seen anything like that before. It was interesting. It was like, I I kind of had a blast. I've never like, I'm going to be kind of the unpopular guy and I expect this to be my first hate letter on Enemy Slime, but I never liked Johnny Get. Um, Neither like, did I. You yeah, I mean, assholes. I, I, I had no, I really had no deep interest in him. I didn't see like, I mean, I, I get that he's the badass, but but see, here's the thing. What I would, what, what like in, in Saints Row the Third, I didn't really care. I went back and played Saints Row Two, and it kind of made me hate him. But uh, in Four, I think they actually fixed his character a little because here's what they did that I thought was uh, clever. They basically made him the boss part two, and they just made him like kind of this violent you know, moronic kind of character and all that kind of really came through. Uh, not so much in interacting with Johnny Gat, but whenever the Kinsey conversations came up, <laughs> we're basically repeating the same exact uh, Kinsey conversations that you had at the beginning of the game. Yeah. You know, where Kinsey would come up with some complicated plan and Gat would be like, you know, what the fuck is she talking about? Um, so he amused me a lot more in 4 than he did in the previous games. Yeah, it just seems like he had more of a place in saints row 4 whereas in saints row 3 even though like he had been presumed dead it like didn't bother me because i was like uh, where's like where does he fit in anyways because exactly he's, exactly. he's sort of the boss archetype anyways and yeah you're so, the boss so so i mean since we're since we're spoiling all of the uh, simulated hells anyway yeah just ruin all of say, this for me please yes as much of it as you can <laughs> I will ruin all of it. Okay, I'll keep it. All all I'll say is this: I won't. I won't talk about it. But I'm going to say the best simulation is Keith David. Um, what I've man, I've been. I've already been through so many simulations. I don't even remember. I've been through that though, right? You might have. I I think. I think is Keith David. Yeah. Oh right. Right. I did. Okay. Never mind. It was like right at the end after everything else. It was pretty great. I mean, I like the idea that Keith David is in there just to begin with, because I think they did the same thing in the last game with yeah. Burt Reynolds, where Burt Reynolds was the mayor. Yeah. yeah they just throw in an actor where it's like you, everybody knows the actor, but especially with Keith David, I often have a hard time remembering what it was he was actually in. Well, he was Julius in the first game and the second game. It was like, right. So that was the other thing, great thing about it, because they take the piss out of uh, that a lot as well. So it's like, you know, they make fun, they make fun of themselves with this game. But um, that might be enough spoiling it for um, Jarrett, since he still wants to play it. No, you you guys can can go all out if you want. I, I'm probably a long ways away from playing that game. I mean, we haven't really spoiled anything huge. Like we haven't talked about the big boom boom, like at the like around the beginning of the game. See, and I'm not. Well, now you did. God, you fucking <laughs> you dickholes. <laughs> so something boom booms at the beginning. Well, so I don't really see it as the kind of game uh, that you can really spoil because I think it's just it's really just a playground with a story that just is wrapped around it and kind of just has to be there. I've never played a Saints Row game and was like, oh boy, I can't wait to see what I don't even know their fucking uh, Kinsey. Can't wait to see what old Kinsey's up to. I don't remember anything about her. I think maybe yeah. I let her die in the third one, so I don't even know how she got into this one. Whatever. Who See, dies? Now, you can now Jared is die. so confused that he's actually confusing Kinsey for Shondi, so he's okay, because yeah. he really doesn't care. See, who fucking cares? Pokemon. At the end of the third game, you get a choice as to whether you can save Shondi and Biolo or not. You know, But if you don't save Shondi and Biolo, you're basically a dick. That's all I have to say. Kill Bane's not worth it. Uh, yeah. I think I think I slightly disagree 
with it's kind of it's not so much that you can spoil the story in Saints Row. It's more you can kind of spoil the experience, which is what it's more about. When I played the third, and um, Jason is the one that actually put me on to Saints Row in the first place because. You know, I didn't own an Xbox, so I never played the first one. And then the second one, people kept trying to get me to play, and I had no interest. So Jason was like, you know, you should really check out Saints Row the Third. I watched a couple of the trailers. I got interested. I picked it up. And when I first started playing Saints Row the Third, it was this huge bank mission. You know, you're stealing a safe. You're shooting all these bad guys. And I'm like, okay, well, this game is playing all its cards up front. And, you know, I'm seeing all the gameplay now, and there's nothing really that they can surprise me with. And I found that was totally not true as I went on with the game. And just like at every turn, there was something crazy going on or like some kind of new gameplay model that I just needed to experience more and more and more. And I just couldn't put it down. I was like, this is great. It was like one second, you know, I'm I'm stealing the safe. And the next second, I'm kind of in Tron world, you know, racing on light bikes. And after that, I'm falling through the sky inside a tank. Make sure you list all those too. Just as many... Hey, I don't think I spoiled it, guys, but let me list all the things that I think What's, would be spoiling the last, it. This is, this is the last game. So oh, see, I, I, I did. I played the whole thing, and I don't remember. I only remember, like, half this. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, for me, it was more about the experience. And then I started watching a Let's Play of 4, because, you know, all the actual video game journalists got a copy about a month before everyone else. Uh, and I started watching a Let's Play and you're you're climbing up this you know nuclear missile disarming it and then you get the presidency i had to stop watching there because you know i was like i really need to be playing this and not watching it so i feel like it can be spoiled in that way but on top of that i feel like saints row 4 actually does have a bit of an interesting story it's like like the third i didn't care about the story two um i really didn't care about the story which is bad because they wanted me to care uh, but in four, you know, I kind of, I kind of did want to see what was going to happen with this one. It's not, it's not like, it's not like the most original story on the planet, but they, they did their work in. Well, it's, I mean, it's like probably the most unoriginal story as of like 2001. Yeah. When the Matrix came out. Yeah. Let's make sure we mention that too. It's like the Matrix. Um, hey, so. <laughs> <laughs> fucking. <laughs> dicks Um, i have to say we're not spoiling anything that you won't learn in like the first hour i already know most of it anyway i've I've, you you can't avoid it at this point um i I do have a question though that that nobody can answer at least well someone can answer it i don't see how it could possibly fit into the the plot at this point especially given that you're president in this game but um do they still have the insurance fraud activities yep yes they still have it even even though you clearly shouldn't need to commit insurance fraud anymore. Well, the best well, part about the, the insurance is, fraud in Saints Row 4 is that, you know, you have your superpowers. So that helps because, you know, you can use your superpowers to help you to get your ass kicked. And and the, the idea for insurance fraud in Saints Row 4 is that it basically, you know, glitches the matrix that you're in. So doing that is supposed to fuck up the programming. Because I have... Um... I think that has been my favorite part of Saints Row all all the way from Saints Row 1 to now. I just, for whatever reason, it taps into some kind of like inner child I have. And I just love... All of us kind of want to run out into traffic and just go head first into a vehicle. Yeah, I think it's like like an unrealized desire, like deep down. Have you ever seen... um, Have you guys ever seen Crash with James Spader? Yes. Yeah, so I'm James Spader. (laughs) Except I'm not brave enough to do it, so I like to do it in Saints Row. Right. I think it's one of the best activities just because um, at first I I used to hate the activity. The first Saints Row game I played was 2, and uh, I hated uh, insurance fraud because I was so bad at it and I didn't understand it. I didn't get like, I thought I was just sort of running into bumpers and, you know, I'd only get like a thousand bucks and I'd fail every single one of them. But then. In Saints Row 3 and 4, it's like the best thing because I understand now that the whole point is to just get the most unrealistic things to happen to you possible. Like, you know, flying into a garbage truck and then you go up like 100 feet in the air and fly for, you know, maybe like 20 seconds before you come back down, hit the hood of a taxi and then you fly back up in the air. And I don't know that and the ragdoll physics, which, of course, as I always say, ragdoll physics are never boring. 
it just makes it a great activity. So I feel like I should mention um, if you've never, if you listening and you, Jason, have never seen Crash with with James Spader, not to be confused with the the Oscar winning Crash, this one would never have won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> you you owe yourself. Uh, uh, I don't know how you would get it but red red box it or something i don't know whatever you got uh, go go out there and find that and i'll just give you this brief summary it's about people who get off on getting in car accidents and then having sex yeah. and uh like like in within the accident i don't uh, i don't see how that wouldn't be oscar material preferably if there are wounds about if, if you see james spader <laughs> And you have like a, a a puncture wound somewhere on your body. You, if you've seen this movie, you'll just instinctively cover up. You'll be like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> All right. So, I mean, is there is there anything else that we can gush about Saints Row Four or um, Oh, there's actually something I wanted to say. It has nothing to okay. do with spoilers. Um, I was very happy going through most of the game, and I didn't have any errors or any glitches, well, like good. you had said you had, and uh. For a time, I was going to say, oh, hell yeah, PC Master Race. But then I had two major problems happen just oh. recently. Uh, the first one, it wasn't really like major, but what happened was I was I was jumping around and I guess I got locked in a falling position. Mm-hmm. And so it looked like I was falling, but I could still like slide around on the ground. But the problem was I could never actually fall, so I couldn't jump or move up in any on a different level in any way. And I actually had to quit and restart the game to fix it. Oh, and then just recently when I was just embarking on my suicide mission, the game just crashed flat out and I was like, well, that puts a damper on it. And that's actually the last time I played. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately I managed to, I think a little more than you, but by the time I got to the end of the game, I'd stop running into them. I think my stuff was more, I would say early to middle ish. It's definitely, it's definitely a bummer. That's like really the only thing that dragged down the experience for me was having those crashes. And, you know, if you can't play the game, you can't play the game. That's kind of what it was. So. Yeah, I mean, somebody else, my friend who I play a lot of the game with, he had one issue of his own where he was actually super running through the streets and he actually went through a building. But at the time, he was going so fast that I think just speaking from like a programmer's perspective, there was no way he could have collided with the building because he was just going too fast. Right. right. So he just went straight through it. And I was like, <laughs> well, I guess that's not really a bug because you're running at like 500 miles an hour. And I'm guessing the, the collision can't detect such things. Right. But that was pretty much it. And, uh, well, yeah, we might've, we, we might've monopolized enough of, uh, the time with Saints Row because I know, that Jared is really excited to tell us about a game uh, that might actually be his game of the year. Isn't that right, Jared? Well, now, are you sure you guys don't want to gush any further? According to the notes, you have two games, so I, I'm not I, sure I, which I, one you want to I, declare his game about. of the year. Be- because, you know, speaking of gushing, I don't know if you guys have ever seen <laughs> Crash, starring James Spader, <laughs> directed by David Cronenberg, uh, but there are gushing wounds about. Right. And... Uh, and you know, if you've ever seen a Cronenberg flick, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, I, I actually I didn't even list it in the notes, but if you if you if you hadn't fancied a guess, um, I went out and picked up a, a delightful gem called called the Bureau. Oh, no, no, no! Don't say <laughs> the bu- the Bureau XCOM Declassified. Uh, that's the full title, I believe. Uh. Um, which is a game that I, I picked up for a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I mainly picked it up because if, if you guys have followed closely or if you followed at all, this game was announced back in 2007. Yes. Um, yeah. I think they, they started working on it in 06 and it, you may not even know this, but back when it was originally in development, it was actually being helmed by what you now know as uh, irrational games. Um, and your very own Ken Levine could have, could have been the one to deliver this glorious game at your doorstep. Uh, it could have been it could have been wildly different than I think what it is now. But anyway, they uh, 2K basically acquired the license and uh, from Atari like a long time ago and decided, hey, let's make an XCOM game. People liked that, and they they said, but you know, it'd be great is if it was a shooter. <laughs> <Okay>. And <laughs> w- which XCOM has actually done before. 
Um, I forget the name of it. But either way, the, the game kind of got kicked around a little bit, and uh, they actually wound up to, uh, creating a, a studio kind of with two intentions. One was to help develop the Bioshock games, and then in their side time, they would work on this, uh, this XCOM game. And uh, that studio is is 2K Marin, which y- you may know probably best from Bioshock 2. They they pretty much, uh, I think, are are probably the sole, uh, aside from some other pieces of 2K. They're they're the big drivers behind Bioshock 2. Uh, okay. That maybe that gives you an idea of what you're getting into with the bureau right. a little bit. I mean, Bioshock 2 <laughs> wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't Bioshock 1. <laughs> or infinite or anything really with bioshock in the title so here's here's where the bureau really starts to have problems is while they were developing it like two years into developing it um another company called firaxis came along and they acquired the x they didn't acquire the xcom license but basically 2k commissioned them to make an xcom game as well and they made what you guys probably know as XCOM Enemy Unknown, which is a strategy game that's actually good. Like, it's pretty good. It's a good game. That's what I've heard. And so the Bureau, in within the time that it was developed, an entirely different XCOM game was conceived, released, and loved. And, and now at this point, their game kind of has to stand in the shadow, mm. which is which is perhaps a little unfortunate. Um, but anyway, I I, feel, I felt like I had to pick it up, if not to just see what it had become, because when it originally was was like shown at E3 back in like 2010 or something like that, it was a first person shooter, and now it's a right. third person shooter. It has uh, it has no relation to to what was originally shown anymore for the most part. Uh, I think I described it. Uh, the best way to describe it is it is it's funny because we keep drawing connections to Mass Effect, but that's really what it is. Uh, the gameplay is pretty much just kind of XCOM doing its best Mass Effect impression. Um, it's it's a third-person cover-based shooter, and you have two squad mates that you can control, and uh, you can order them around. You even get like a power wheel that you can bring up, uh, <laughs> and and you can order them to do certain things or send them in certain directions. But it's basically just a very very unpolished Mass Effect. Um, <laughs> I think this is kind of one of those games where it spent so long being made and and probably went back to the drawing board so many times that I think just probably once anything presentable was ready to be released, they're just like, fuck it, man, put it out. Right. Duke Nukem forever. Yeah. Right to hell. It's kind of like both those, I think. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'd lump it in with those. It it's it's um it's competent. Maybe I could say that it's competent. It's not the worst game of the year it's no aliens colonial marines or uh or walking dead survival instinct it's not that it's it's a little (laughs) better than that um but it's definitely not good uh i think the the thing that's getting to me the most is probably the main character who is a a grizzled uh cia agent who is formerly in the field but is now behind a desk and i mean it is it is just the most uninspired writing for this guy in the world like he has this personal tragedy i'm still learning what that tragedy is but you know obviously it's scarred him deeply and and has has he learned that uh the only person he can rely on in the world is himself that's exactly what he's learned (laughs) um crawl crawl into the bottom of a bottle kind of dude um i'll tell you what his favorite line is throughout the throughout the game is uh so there are moments where you'll see like a scripted event happen. So you'll walk down a hallway and you'll see a guy get like eaten by an alien or whatever. Not eaten, but uh, you'll, you'll see him get to get the shit beat out of him or you'll stumble upon a dead body. And what he always says is he goes, poor bastard. He didn't stand a chance. It wasn't your time. <laughs> and and that's the, the thing about it is, is like that's how uninspired this is, is not only is that a cliche line. He says it every time he sees anything bad. So, like, you'll stumble into a town and there's a bunch of dead bodies. And he's like, these people, they never had a chance. <laughs> and then you'll you'll walk around the corner and you'll watch a dude get killed. And you'll be like, oh, that guy, he didn't stand a chance. <laughs> and I, 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 uh, I, I started writing the review and, and I put this in there. And if, if you are at home and you want to play a fun game, you can play what I call the the Bureau drinking game. <laughs> and uh, what you what you have to do is you have to go into your liquor cabinet and you have to find the the mustiest, like just 
rankest looking bottle of whiskey that you can find. The the bottom shelf back label, like you need to dust it off when you when you get it out. And every time uh Mr uh Mr. Carter says he didn't stand a chance, you take a <laughs> you take a shot. I I like this game. I guarantee you that you will be dead within hour <laughs> by hour two you'll be done for. That'll be it. So it sounds like a really good game, is what you're saying. It's got a lot of problems. Uh, it's uh, and, and so, like, the things... So if I had to list out the things that bug me, um, one would be the checkpoints are, are kind of annoying. And they're annoying because a lot of them are placed right in front of a cutscene. And so, like, if you die on just a, a big wave of enemies, it'll take you back, but you have to skip the cutscene that you just watched again. And I don't understand why they couldn't just put the checkpoint right after the cutscene. It's not a big deal because you can skip them. But like, uh, there was a part where where I got back to base or whatever, and I was I, I you walk through the base on like a line and talk to people, and none of that can be skipped. And when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, I can probably stop playing here. And I turned the game off. And when I came back and turned it back on, it made me do that entire thing again. Oh God! All the way to the all the way to the end of it. Mm. it's kind of annoying and then on top of it uh the game has frozen on me uh at least twice and both of them were hard lockups couldn't get uh, i'm playing it on the xbox couldn't get like the navigation guide to come up or anything just had to shut the console off and turn it back on that's pretty lame i mean i have to ask because when you think of xcom you don't necessarily think of like a a unique sort of game world in a sense. You always think of the strategy game just because it was a unique strategy game mechanics wise. And I always wonder how they're going to finagle that into like a shooter. You I know, mean, well, well, so as far as the mechanics fitting in there, it's very sloppy because it's basically, I think what probably happened was enemy unknown came out and, or was being developed and 2k was probably like, you know, Hey, this is good. Let's, let's get some of that shit in there. Um, and so like it touts itself. If you read the back of the box, it's like, Oh, you got to strategize to win this shit. Um, first of all, your AI is fucking useless. They're fucking worthless. If you tell them to move somewhere, they'll move there and take cover. And then they'll immediately like leave the cover and go do whatever they want. They're, they're cut through like friggin' paper mache. So you'll tell a guy you're like, get behind that wall and he'll go get behind it. And five seconds later, he'll be wandering out and, and die. And you have to go revive him. Great! I can't wait to bomb some Dodongos! <laughs> There's no Dodongos, unfortunately. Um, okay. But, but that's pretty weak. Um, because your guys die so quickly, the fact that when you... So when you, when you go to pick powers, you go into like battle mode where you freeze the game and can go choose your powers. And the problem there is that uh, it, it doesn't stop time completely. It just slows time. And okay. so, so you'll, you'll see one of your dudes is in trouble and you're like, oh, shit, I better get him behind some cover. And you'll go into battle mode. And by the time you've like picked him out on the wheel and, and moved the cursor to where you want him to go and, and select it, a lot of times he's just dead. And so it didn't, uh, even, didn't even matter anyway. Terrific. When someone loses all their health, they bleed out. They lay down and bleed out. And if you don't rescue them, this is another holdover from XCOM. If you don't rescue them, they die permanently. Um, and, and you have a set list of squad mates that you can choose from. And you can actually get to a point in theory in the game where if you run out of squad mates, the game is over. And you just have to start over from the very beginning. Oh, um, what? In theory. But... <laughs> That checkpoint system I meant mentioned is kind of a detriment um, because you're if a squad mate dies, you just reload the checkpoint. Even on the highest difficulty, you can do it. And in uh, in Enemy Unknown or or like any strategy game like like Fire Emblem, I don't know if you ever had this with with Fire Emblem Jay, but there were there are times where like you'll get halfway through like a really long mission and a doodle die. And it's permadeath, but you're like, fuck it, man. I don't want to do this mission again. And, you know, they make the missions yeah. like hard enough that sometimes that's a really real possibility where you're just going to have to sacrifice somebody and call it good. Yeah. Um, this game doesn't have that. There's there's nothing like that because the checkpoints are so frequent. Um, and, and to be honest, I think it's a no win situation because if they made the checkpoints less frequent, then I'd just be mad about that. So they can't please me. <laughs> 
There's nothing they <laughs> right. can do to make me happy. But the problem is, is you level up and you level up so slowly that if one of my dudes dies, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to consider starting another guy. So I just load the checkpoint and, uh, and call it good and keep going. Um, I've been playing for about three hours, I think, and all of my characters are level two to give you an idea of maybe how slow. Oh God. Um, at the very beginning for the tutorial, you're given two characters that I think are max level. I, I think they're max level, and they're both level five. So that's kind of disappointing. It really just it, it makes it so I don't want to take any of my other team members out. Like, why would I want to swap out the other guys if if even after an entire hour long mission, they're still not even going to be leveled up one? So not only does it sound like an accidental roguelike in that you can bork everything and have to start over, but then once you do, you realize you just lost so many hours of time for so little. Yeah, I think that's probably the way to describe it. But that's what annoys me about the game. The the writing's pretty uninspired. The two guys that you run into in the tutorial, they they both like will blow smoke up Carter's ass. They're like, oh, you're you're an amazing field agent. And he's like, used to be an amazing field agent. <laughs> <laughs> that's my old life. You Don't try to drag me back in. Get in there. And the director's like, we need you on this, Carter. And he's like, I told you, I'm a desk jockey now. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> but this time it's personal. They've got your wife. No, well, I'm pretty sure they don't have his wife because I think that's part of his problem. All right, okay. Yeah, but, that makes but yeah, sense. but yeah, it's that kind of it's that kind of stuff. It sounds like a game. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely a game. I picked it up mostly because I was just curious. I just wanted to know what what happened to it. Where did they finally land? Uh, it's incredibly uninteresting. It seems lazy, like they've gone out of their way in a lot of situations, it looks like, to not add like more character animations and things like that. Like, There's not a lot as far as interface goes. Like, You find audio logs as you walk through the levels, but there's no like visual indicator. You know how when you pick up an audio log in Bioshock, like a tape spins, and you yeah. can see like the face of the person who's talking? There's nothing like that. You just walk up to it, you hit X, and the only indicator that it's playing is now you hear an audio log. And uh, mm. it doesn't like save it in a menu so you can listen to it later or anything like that. It just plays it and and then forgets about it. That's extremely bare bones. Like, yeah, we'll just throw in an audio file. We'll play it and then it'll be gone forever. Well, they're not interesting to listen to either. Like I, I tried to play them all. I've gotten into a big habit where I try to collect everything in games and stuff like that. And they're just like, I'll start it up and then I'll just run away. They're not even remotely worth listening to. And if you run away, they don't. It doesn't follow you. So. Not only are they unfun to listen to and not really that clear that they're playing a lot of times, but you have to stand there while they play. You can't go and like do something else or anything like that. Wait, so you're like stuck while you're listening to the yeah. audio? And you even though you can't even see when the audio is about to finish because there's no progress or anything. And I've had that happen too, where like I thought it was just a long pause or something and, and the audio log was really just done. And um <laughs> <laughs> I'm just standing there like an asshole. But yeah, if you leave the room, the audio log doesn't come with you. It just keeps playing in the background. Just and I understand like maybe they're going for like realism, like hey, it's the 50s, what's he going to carry around an audio log in? But first of all, you're shooting UFOs. And second of all, actually I think that's all all my of alls. I think <laughs> he should he should be able to find something. I guess if you're going to call realism, uh, none of the audio logs are actually in any kind of player. Like, you don't stumble upon a radio or a jukebox or something like that. You just stumble upon what essentially looks like film canisters just sitting on, like, a desk. And when you walk up to them and hit X, they play. So, mm. I don't know. It's it's uh, It's not good. How about... <laughs> We move off from something horrible and something potentially good. Didn't you say you okay. played Sir, You're Being Hunted? I, I did. I played that uh, and Betrayer. I bought the early access for both of them. Um, I kind of have a bean to pick. A bean? I have a bean to pick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of going to pick my bean here for a minute. With, mm. with Sir, You're Being Hunted in particular, and this is more my fault than anything else, but it, it popped up on Steam, and I've been following that game for a while too, and I was super stoked about it. Uh, and and I was like, yes, it's here, finally. And I clicked on the green button, and I clicked order, and then I noticed it says early access. Mm. Um, I had just presumed it was done, because I haven't looked, checked right. in on it lately. And so I'm actually a little bummed out, because it doesn't feel 
very close to being done. Yeah. The early access thing I, is kind of bogus to me. I, I don't that. really like it. I fell for that trick recently. What, what game did I just early access myself? Um, out something. It was like some horror game that was it. Outland. Outland. I think is that what it is. Yeah. I think I saw a game called. I I saw it on Steam, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think I think I saw that you bought it, and I once again I did not recognize that it was early access. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. I love like the horror genre in general. You know, I might up. I might as well kind of grab this thing and i did and oh can't play it don't know when i can play it if ever i don't mind the early access but uh usually the early access games are indie games and when you think of an indie game you think well this is a developer who if the game isn't up to snuff when it comes out they're going to release giant patches to fix it or add stuff later anyways so um so i don't know how much you guys know about sir you're being hunted but uh essentially the way the way it works is you're uh, some kind of scientist from what I can gather and you're doing an experiment and it goes wrong and some kind of large crystal explodes and, and shoots its little crystal shards all over the place and you win the game like my Saturday nights yeah that's me too right you pull up that uh, you pull up the red tube and then your crystal shards explode <laughs> and I don't know what red tube is this is a family podcast I meant YouTube you pull up YouTube <laughs> oh okay and the crystal shards explode if you're listening, kids, RedTube is just YouTube, but all the videos are red. Like, they they have a red overlay. You don't want to go there. It's boring. Good cover. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, the, uh, but basically, you're being chased by robots. Uh, kindly, not kindly, but like gentleman-looking robots with top hats and friendly guns. And uh, they hunt you down and, and shoot you. That's pretty much the game. Your goal is to kind of avoid them, collect these crystals, reassemble it, and then... Uh, and then once you've got it all put back together, I presume I win. I haven't really done that yet. Right. It's actually, I would say that the stuff that's wrong with it right now, like it, one thing that's cool about the game is it generates a world before you start. So there's like four zones that are available to you on the map. I think maybe five actually. And you can choose between different terrain types. So if you pick mountain, then one of the zones will be like this big tall mountain that you can scale and go up. And if you pick town, then the zone will be more like a, like a, uh, a rural kind of city looking area and so that's kind of cool to have that world it, it's kind of minecraft ish right. minecraft esque <laughs> um, i heard well i heard people say that it's either creepy or funny but it's like nothing else it's like it's always very creepy or very funny i haven't found it funny but uh <laughs> like I, I i guess maybe it kind of is you you find some humorous items it it I think it's going to be a good game, but it just doesn't have a lot to do right now, it feels like. Um, there's there's just long expanses with just nothing. I haven't figured out how to open a map yet. I've almost played the game for two hours, and I maybe the map is an item that you get. I don't know, but I don't have one. Um, and so like oh. I'll, I'll find a boat, and I'll take it somewhere, and then I get lost wherever I go and can't get back to where I was. There's your early release. There could possibly just not be a map at this point. So yeah, maybe nobody thought of that one. Like, hmm. I, I will say I'm I'm a big chicken when it comes to playing games, like, like especially horror games and things like that. Like Last of Us was almost a, a challenge in some parts to get through uh, for me. And so this is this is weird. It's almost scarier than some other games, like games that are intentionally scary. Is you get shot when when they find you, they shoot at you. And when you're running from robots and you get hit, like my mouse will jerk and I'll be sent in the exact opposite direction because I get startled and jump and yeah. flip, the, flip the mouse out of alignment. But um, so far, I, I haven't found a weapon. Um, I found food, but some of it I guess I wasn't supposed to eat because I ate it and then I died. <laughs> God. <laughs> it was a bad taco. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I, I found, found just a whole crate of bad tacos. So that, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little disappointed. I'm more disappointed that I bought it because I really didn't mean to. Um, Betrayer kind of turned me off of early access because uh, it's right. it's not very good either. <laughs> There's just not a lot to do. Um, yeah. I think I think I had two early access games. One, one I liked, which was um, an epic. That was kind of... You know, it was also a lot cheaper. I noticed that the early access games are getting more and more expensive. And we're not talking planetary annihilation. We're just talking in general. 
Um, I I think both of these are are what the retail price will be. Yeah. See, un un epic. I think for the early access and with the price reduction, it cost me something like seven ninety nine, which I felt was fair. You know, and the price is slowly climbing on these things, and I, I'm not sure that it's really worth it anymore, especially for you know people that. Like, I'm all for supporting kind of new developers and, you know, seeing new things brought to the table. But at the same time, it's kind of like what you're saying. You know, there's the, the chance that the game is just not good or that the game kind of won't be supported. And, you know, you're taking that risk when you spend your money. So to spend like these higher and higher amounts, it's like, you know, you kind of really have to weigh whether or not you can take that out of your budget. I mean, it's it's sort of low risk because it's like a pre-order except you, you get a copy of the game at the end and, and you can play it while it's being developed and, and maybe like influence or do it like that. But there's to me, there's something about seeing how the sausage is made that I think just doesn't work for me. Like, yeah, I, I know I, that when Betrayer gets a proper release, I'm probably not going to go back and bother with it because I was so underwhelmed. Like, I'll probably go back to just see I, if it got any better, but that's about it. I think that's the thing for a lot of people, though. I mean, I think I like Unepic when I bought that game, it feels like a game that's like close to done so i'll return to it you know it feels like that this is basically what the game is going to be and it's fun uh you know for people that don't know what unepic is it's basically a metroidvania but it has kind of a lot of rpg elements to it a lot of references to kind of dungeons and dragons and all that other tabletop so when i bought the game it already felt like it was close to being completed so this is like okay this is worthwhile Uh, i think there's there's just something about seeing a game that's in its early phases. Like you understand, like okay, it needs some designing and all that. But if, in the long run, you're kind of like, I might not touch it. I think I think it's like, not to talk too much about myself, but it's like when I show you guys the rough cut of a film, it's like, yeah, this is pretty messy, and it's more like you guys kind of get the idea of what's supposed to be there, as well, opposed to final. Product. I I understand that. I mean, I generally you don't want to show people your unfinished work because. Unless they're deeply involved in the process or understand the process, they don't really get it. And sometimes it's just really negative, the feedback you get, because they think, oh, this is the best you can do, because usually they see finished products. They don't understand that all those beautiful games they're playing, like all the AAA games that, you know, got 9.0s and everything. At some point, they looked horrible and they were broken and half finished. Yeah, exactly. It's like and it's it's hard to find people that kind of truly get that it's like that's that's why i'm always hesitant when i show something that's just kind of not complete yet because it's like you know i want you to come back and be my actual audience afterwards so i understand i like i'm not a, i'm not a game developer so i don't really quite get the early access process you know i i understand wanting to get your funding and uh you know kind of getting that support and saying you know i'm an indie and this is kind of my way in but at the same time, it's risky because you're showing a whole lot of people that don't really understand the process that have this mentality of, you know, I'm paying for a game. I want an actual game. I don't want something that's unfinished. It's not their fault that they feel that way. It's just they're not used to it. And maybe they'll some of them will never understand it. And they'll just kind of be mad and be like, well, I expected something different. So I'm not going to do early access anymore. Like I said, it's not their fault. Yeah, it's just they're going to have to figure out the hard way whether or not they can really deal with early access or not. Right. I feel like I feel like you're both talking about me like I'm not here. Like, look, <laughs> look, at, look at this fucking asshole that went out and bought two early access games and isn't satisfied with them. What a what a fucking he doesn't understand because he's not no, no, a no. content creator like you or I. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not that I don't I don't think that's what I'm saying. I think I you know, and you're a content creator too. I mean, you have that lovely website you built that we're all making this podcast for. But I think, I think it's kind of my attitude, my attitude towards this. My mentality would be, you know, I understand that people don't understand what this rough process is. So I would never take like a film uh, that's unfinished and then just take it out to a mass audience and say, "Hey guys, look at this. Look at the concept I'm getting at." I hope you guys come back and buy tickets to my actual film. So that's what I'm saying. So, you know? so I actually, I actually have an exact uh, example of this, which is um, Joss Whedon when he was doing. I, I'm sorry, Joss Whedon when he was doing Serenity. Um, he he showed a rough cut to uh, uh, audiences, a few test audiences, 
and it didn't have like a lot of the special effects in it and just a whole bunch of stuff wasn't done. And I remember someone did a cam of it. Someone snuck a camera in and recorded the movie. And, and when they came out, they put it online. And I, I was really looking forward to that movie. Um, and so I grabbed it and downloaded it. And because I'm one of those plebeians who can't, you know, understand how stuff is made, it kind of just ruined the expectations that I, I don't know how to describe it, but it kind of like spoiled the experience for it when I saw the finished product like six months uh, later in, in the actual theater. Um, yeah. And I think I think I'm just saying kind of like, you know, I, I more get kind of your point of view on it. It's like, you know, this is kind of spoiled for me now. You know, the thing about early access, I think the, I think something different about Joss Whedon is that he probably went out to this thing and it was supposed to be like a closed up works in progress screening. And, you know, some douchebag basically just stole the film and put it online, you know, but the difference is with Greenlight, you know exactly what you're getting into and that you are showing it to all these people um, kind of unfinished. So and I feel like this whole podcast is like hate mail bait. So I should clar- I should clarify. I really actually I really liked Serenity. Um, I'm not always I'm not always a big Joss Whedon fan, but even even though I saw this rough cut that kind of spoiled everything, I, I thought it was a really good movie. I've purchased it like three times. So please please delete that email that you're starting to type up. And that's and that's the takeaway of this that uh, we all love Serenity. And that we don't need your hate mail. What a fucking moron. You watched the rough cut and didn't like it. And, no, no, no. I saw the, I saw it. It's just, it, I don't know how else to describe it, but like I said, like it, it takes the wind out of the sails and like Betrayer could be uh, a really cool game. And I'm glad I bought the early access for Betrayer because I just want to support that yeah. studio. Um, cause I'd, I'd like to see them kind of grow and, and make another goddamn no one lives forever game. Exactly. And I, and I, and I think, and I think that's kind of the thing, like it's, you know, it's like Kickstarter that it's exactly what uh, Jason said, where you, where we basically need audiences that understand what this model actually is, that you're not paying, you know, for a game, that you're more paying to kind of support the developers to finish this game. You know, and it's a model that people kind of don't really necessarily get with most crowdfunding stuff that, you know, you're not buying a product like you would on Amazon. Um, you're more supporting the design of a product. So, and not only that, people who often do the early act or who buy the early access, uh, I think they want to be part of the process. They want to know that maybe their input is going to be huge in terms of uh, putting in huge content updates. Uh, they think that if they get in there early, then they're going to shape the game, and that might be true to some extent. But like I said, with indies, you can. Ha- be the consumer and you can still shape the games afterwards because a lot of indie developers do like to push the really big content updates post-launch and i'm sure it's going to be the same thing with sir you're being hunted and probably other games see but that's kind of and maybe that's the problem is i I think the game like minecraft kind of came along and, and spoiled that model where like it, they didn't they never called it early access because at the time such a thing didn't even really exist like you could just you could buy it and it was cheaper than it was when it officially launched to 1.0 and and you could play it and but i mean it was for the most part really good and and pretty much done i mean they add shit sure but the base model hasn't really changed the hooks of the game haven't really changed and maybe it helps that the game doesn't have a story or anything to work your way through but having that experience with that and then going and playing other early access games where like they're super empty or, you know, just games where you walk away from them and you're like, wow, is this really what they're going to try to publish? Like it, it kind of poisons that well a little bit for me. Right. And and I, I think for me, it's more of a price point issue. It's like if I see a game that I might be interested in, whether it's completed or not, you know, that, that, that $5 difference is kind of huge for me. It's like if it's 15 I might err on the side, okay, you know, maybe I don't need my pack of ramen this week, so I'll buy this game. But if it's 20, then it's like, you know, no, I, I'm going to have to pass on this one and just wait a few months down the line and see what's going on. But but let me ask you a question. If they yeah. If they made the early access cheaper... But then, when the game came out, you didn't get an actual copy of the game. Would you? Would you do it? Like if they, no. if they, if they were like, "Hey, come get early access to this game for two dollars ninety nine cents," but then when it was over, like, just fuck you, would you do it? No, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't do it then. It's like, I mean, that's practically know, a Kickstarter. 
it's basically a Kickstarter. You're basically it's basically like a paid beta, and I'm not. No, that's just a no. It doesn't work well for all games, anyways. Like you mentioned <laughs> Minecraft, but Minecraft actually, I, I'm going to sound sort of stupid for saying this, but it doesn't really have an ending aside from the fact that it technically Ooh, does actually have an ending now. It really has the end. But uh, yeah, but. It's a game that's like never going to end and there's always something new to add to it. So I've never, even once they said, oh yeah, we're at 1.0 retail now. It's like, okay, but nothing's actually changed. They're still adding stuff at the same rate as before. I mean, the sliding scale the of the early cost of it kind of made sense because you were paying for less of a game and now you're paying for much more of a game. I don't know how to describe it. I guess... Y- you pay what you're going to expect to get out of it at the time that you buy it, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and like and I said, I mean, for uh, not to keep harping on Betrayer, but like that was a game that I was going to buy anyway. And so I don't I don't mind paying $13.99 for it because I'm pretty sure it's just going to be $13.99 when it comes out. Um, right. uh, but at the same time, like, I don't feel like they were using tricky marketing or that they went out of their way to hide the fact that it was early access. But I really genuinely didn't buy Sir You're Being Hunted on purpose. And I thought for a minute, I was like, well, I'm just an idiot. But knowing that knowing that Jay also bought an early access game, maybe we're both idiots. Actually, I've bought an early access game recently myself. So I'll just talk about that really quick. Uh, I bought a game called uh, Project Zomboid. And I don't know if either of you have heard of that before. Only Only via you mentioning it, I think. Right, I've mentioned it like once long ago. Uh, I got it for $8, and it's probably still $8. And it's basically like a really hardcore zombie survival situation. It's sort of like an isometric sort of Diablo view game. Uh, you basically just keep going until you until you die, which is inevitable. Because after like so many weeks, the water will shut off. Uh, eventually, the power shuts off. And you can actually go out into the woods and sort of build up tents and things like that. I think it was worth the $8 I spent, although the trap I fell into was uh, the developers are extremely slow with pushing updates to the point where I feel like they might be extremely lazy or incompetent because uh, the last major update that they did took them six months, (laughs) and that's like monstrously unacceptable to me. Yeah. I'm not going to wait six months for a patch. And let's see, that's kind of the risk I'm talking about. Because, like, you know, like, like Jared, I understand your question about the kind of, like, if it were a cheaper early access, but I couldn't get the final game. Like, I, I understand where you're going with that. Uh, but I feel like the model is just curving up in general anyway. Like, if I had paid, I don't think I would have paid full price for Gone Home. Gone Home, I had gotten it at a slight discount. And I was like, you know what, okay, this is worthwhile. And I did really have to debate that. Uh, but it's also like Jason is saying, you know, with these early access games, since we've never heard of these people, we don't know what we're getting into, you know. So, you know, they might put out a content update every day. They might put one out like once a year. So it's that's kind of that's kind of the other thing that's a little risky to me. Well, and I guess that's the problem with me treating them like pre-orders, because like, is it i mean when when will it come out will it definitely come out i guess there has to be maybe some kind of assurance there for it to be on steam i I guess probably not i doubt valve is going to go after somebody if they don't finish their game but um it it does add a level of credence to it like i i actually um have you guys ever heard of kentucky route zero do you know that one it's a it's an adventure game um that's being published in like five chapters and when it very first came out it wasn't it wasn't on Steam. You could just buy it from their website and they published the first chapter and they were just super, super vague about when the other four would come out. They're like, oh, sometime this year. And uh, I think that was in 2012 still when that started. And they're still not all out today. But I didn't buy it because I I didn't like what if they just disappear and don't finish it? And I definitely didn't want to get involved with it. Um, and then have them be like, well, this was fun, but I don't really feel like finishing it. Cause I'm, if you're talking about being a content creator, that's me. Like I'll build, I'll build 90% of something and then I'll be like, eh, I don't, not today. I think everybody <laughs> does that to some degree. They, we all have, uh, you know, 20 folders of unfinished projects oh, that yeah. we don't, we'll never show anybody and they don't even know exists. 
But so when it came out on Steam, I felt more comfortable picking it up because I don't think there's any assurance they're going to finish it still, but it felt like maybe there would be. Like, I, I don't know if I have any recourse at that point. If they advertise it as a five-part game on Steam, but they never come out with part five, do I have some kind of... Can I get a refund on that or what? Right. I'm really asking. Are you guys lawyers? Oh, I, um, I don't think you are able to get a refund, at least not through Steam. I know Steam's very stingy as it is about giving out refunds. And if you do early access, it's pretty much buyer beware, I think. See, but I don't even think they're calling this early access. Like, this is a different almost example because this is just a chapter setup. This is like if uh, if Telltale uh, released The Walking Dead and got to episode five and was just like, yeah, nah. I mean, the thing is, if you, I mean, are we talking still about Steam, though? Well, I guess just in relation to it. Like, I bought those games on Steam because I was comfortable doing that, but I don't know that I would have been comfortable buying them, like, just off of some dude's website. Because the line I was going to draw is uh, even on Steam, Valve is guilty of this exact same thing because they came out with Half-Life Episode 1 and 2. I guess And they were fair. talking about how, man, we're going to we're going to release these extra Half-Life 2 episodes because it's, you know, it's episodic so we can do it really fast at a quick clip and just knock them out really quick and then it took years between the two that we have and now it just doesn't look like there's going to ever be another one, so they kind of just abandoned it. But, you, you know, the difference there is that for those, you paid per episode, whereas with The right. Walking Dead, you paid, you know, a flat fee up front. And oh, I, I understand that. I guess yeah. if you don't get all of them, then fuck you, pretty much, is what it probably comes down to. I guess I'll let you guys know. Maybe we'll get lucky and Kentucky Route Zero will just abandon it and we can see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> that would, I'm, thank you. I'm glad that you're wishing for me. <laughs> Now I'd be pissed because I want to know what happens. That was, Nothing that, happens. That was my other problem. It's the same reason like if a TV show comes on. What what was Jay used to recommend one to me all the time? I can't. Last Resort. Oh. And he's like, I, should, I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. You should watch Last Resort. Well, no, you'll you'll be good to know. I didn't watch Last Resort because I was like, I'll wait and see if it gets a second season because I don't want to get all invested in that shit. And, and then, then it's like, I, and it was one of those things where the, the pilot was so damn good. And then, uh, you know, it remained interesting for a few episodes, and I kind of got, eh, this is okay. And then I don't think I ever finished the first season. But it, it's that it's that same notion where, like, Kentucky Route Zero, I was like, this looks really cool, but they obviously are kind of moving at a slow clip, and, like, I worry about getting super into it, and then... And, but you keep talking about it, and, like, I'm literally looking at the page right now, and it's, like, 50% off, and I'm thinking about it. <laughs> It's um, it's I I, I like uh, I, I like it a lot. It's it's got a really kind of noir sort of feeling to it, and I'll I'll play anything so long as it's bathed in stylish shadows. So long as the main character is wearing a, a fedora, basically. <laughs> well, actually, I, I guess by that token, though, I should be enjoying the bureau. And uh, that's, oh right, right. <laughs> I just remember that now. I do, I do have to say, just to harken back to that a little bit, I love the setting of that game. If they had made it work. The the yeah. original the original like irrational concept the irrational games concept as as I heard it retold was um, what if aliens invaded in the 1950s and we were just like because it's the 1950s we're woefully underprepared to handle it like we just have like you know what's at our disposal fucking rotary phones and shit it, it, I think that could have been a really cool really interesting story and it's too bad they fucked it up I mean it's in the 1950s so is the Actually, Basically, I think, is the whole plan to just send all the black people out to suicide? I think the game is the early 60s. Um, I oh. I don't know that I've seen... I think one of your potential crewmates is a black person. And I guess you could, in theory, order him to just be the front line at all times. <laughs> um, if you want to be authentic. It doesn't matter because everyone in that game... Everyone in that game is equally delicate. Just pretty princesses that'll just get destroyed at the second... At the very sight of gunfire. I don't think it mattered in World War II either. <laughs> um, I mean, that that was one of my questions, though, because it's like uh, the setting for the Bureau actually looked really interesting. So yeah, it, you answered that. It is. It, it could have been super cool. And like even 
a lot of the like the the intro where it shows the 2K logo. There's like a, a an old convertible that drives by, and there's like bumping Fallout music, and uh, it it could have been super cool, and it just it just isn't. Well, that sucks. It is. It does suck. It makes me sad. <laughs> well, I did see The World's End, which I know isn't a video game, but The World's right. End and Saints Row Four both have the same moral. I was waiting. I was waiting to hear this. <laughs> so the moral of both movies, of both, of both the movie and the game, is that here are these aliens offering us uh, stability and uh, peace and prosperity. Uh, uh, you know, and as the human race, our answer to that is fuck you. And I thought that was a great right. moral. I thought, you know, the moral of the story is humans are belligerent and arrogant and, you know, stubborn and they're bad people and we don't want what you're offering. And I really love that. And if there's anything to learn from the Saints Row series entirely, it's that the boss is all of those adjectives. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I don't know. I just, I just like things like that. And I think that's a fantastic moral to any story about the human race that, uh, we're not full of hope. Uh, we're just assholes. And we'll get through everything through belligerence and beating our head on the wall until exactly. it crumbles. Exactly. I, I like it. And so let me, let me take a moment here to address the listener. Yes, you, listener. I see you there. And, I know that you're a human and you're belligerent and don't want what anybody's offering and are, are angry and, and annoying, etc., etc. But I would still implore you to visit us at enemyslime.com. And uh, now we've launched both our Twitter and Facebook pages. So if you go like us at the Enemy Slime on either Facebook or Twitter, uh, that would be that would be just lovely. Um, if you, if you haven't been to our website before, please go there. If you just downloaded this MP3, cause it was on like Kazaa and it was labeled like hot. Kazaa. <laughs> it was just still very popular. <laughs> what a, if this, if LimeWire, if this was on LimeWire and it was just like labeled as a salt and pepper song, I don't know if you guys know that's how I'm promoting this. I just put it up on LimeWire and I tag it as what a man by salt and pepper. <laughs> All right. We just name it formula one racing 2001. I, there's a there's a wide array, but that's how that's largely how I think we're going to promote this is just by uh, mislabeled tags. Um, yeah. and th- that's really who I want to get to go into the site anyways, the salt and pepper crowd. So that makes sense. That makes sense. And actually, forget what we said late uh, earlier about not sending hate mail. Please send hate mail because nobody sends us any mail right now. Yeah, any any kind of mail would be good. If you don't like my my high pitched girlish voice send us mail if you don't like the fact that i made it sound like girlish could be a bad adjective send us mail if you don't like the fact that jay and i both can't really string together sentences very well then send us mail yeah it's just you know whatever if you think that your neighbor might be cheating on his significant other send send us some mail if if, if you get one of these mastercard applications that say you're you know eligible for 6.9 percent apr but you don't want it send us that yeah, send me that too, with your name on it and sign, please. <laughs> Include your <laughs> pin number. <laughs> I guess if I'm going to encourage you to send me mail, I should tell you where. Send it to contact at enemyslime.com or tweet at us. I don't really fucking just reach out and touch me somehow. Because <laughs> I just am so lonely. And I think with that, we're out. Okay. Beautiful.